the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Welcome to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk. 710-KNUS-303-696-1971 is our telephone number if you want to join into the festivities. You can text into the show on the 710-KNUS app on your smartphone. Name in town, name in town if you wish to text in, please. And you can email yours truly, 24-7-365. Two ways to do that. 710-KNUS.com. Go to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show page. Shoot me a message there or log on to my website, jimmysangenberger.com. And on the contact page, you can do the same. Keep in mind, there's no A, I, or U in Sangenberger. It's all E's all the time. Once you know that, Sangenberger is easy. We have a lot that we are going to be doing today. And again, do want your participation, though. 303-696-1971. Coming up in the 7 o'clock hour, we will be joined in studio by Erin Kane. She is the superintendent of Douglas County Schools. And we're particularly going to zero in on the potential financial impact of 5A and 5B, a bond and mill levy override uh, pair of measures that are on the ballot for Douglas County voters this November, meaning what, in just a couple of weeks, ballots are going to be dropping, if even, and that means the election will be underway. This is an opportunity, as proponents see it, to fund schools more so that you can provide additional pay to teachers who are, what, I think $19,000 paid less by $19,000 than, say, Cherry Creek School District teachers, and to build new schools and also to up the security presence and systems in Doug Coe schools. But what are the potential impacts of this? What is the current financial state of affairs as far as administrative costs that are in the district as far as teacher pay, so on and so forth? We'll dive into that with Superintendent Aaron Kane in studio in the next hour. We will also be joined here in just a bit by R. R. Emmett Tyrell, who is the founder and publisher as well as the editor of the american spectator which believe it or not was founded in 1967 and is a unique publication that these days is predominantly i think online but he has a fascinating new book how do we get out of here half a century of laughter and mayhem at the american spectator from bobby kennedy to donald j trump And it is a memoir by our forthcoming guest. So looking forward to being joined by R. Emmett Tyrell Jr. coming up in the next segment. Also today, some more shady business going on in Denver public schools that I really need to get into. Uh, Last weekend, we talked about the public records runaround that the district 
has been, had been doing regarding a $3,500 payment made to none other than Tay Anderson for a settlement payment for agreement October 22nd, 2022. And I think we touched on it last weekend on the program. I know I did when I uh, filled in for Deborah Flora two Fridays ago and was on with Stefan that that day. Uh, the the whole idea that there was a secret $3,500 settlement payment. Well, there's more to it. What was that payment? We know what it was for. And if it doesn't grind your gears, then you believe corruption is okay. And even more than that, now the district insists on hiding the settlement agreement with Tay Anderson under an obscure provision in law that they claim provides justification to withhold it from the public. We will get to that coming up later on in the program. Plus, Danielle Jurinsky, the Aurora City Councilwoman at large, of course, uh, she had a false complaint of sexual abuse lodged against her after making comments, after she made comments critical of former chief of police in Aurora, Vanessa Wilson, on Stefan's show. And... This turned her life upside down for weeks and months. And we know who uh, was determined by Child Protective Services to have made that call because Robin Nicita was fired from her job. The legal questions are what we don't know. The specifics, because that's for a jury to decide. But we know that Nicita was fired after this false report. And a couple of investigations were conducted into what's happening in Arapahoe County Child Protective Services, Department of Homeland, uh, the Department of uh, uh, the, the DHS, Department of Human Services. We know about those investigations. Well, now the class action lawsuit that Jarinsky had brought was dismissed by a judge. And Arapahoe County is claiming, oh, my goodness, look, we won. This is this is vindication for Arapahoe County DHS. And we can put this behind us. What? Seriously? There's a lot more to this. My column yesterday in the Denver Gazette, Arapahoe Child Protective Services probe fail. Oh, excuse me. That was a older column. Uh, yesterday's column was on Arapahoe County uh, ruling doesn't let Arapahoe County off the hook. That's the fresh column from yesterday that breaks down how astray, how off base, how tone deaf the Arapahoe County commissioners, particularly Arapahoe Commissioner Kerry Warren Gully, are in response to this. I mean, it is just astonishing. So shady business going on in Denver Public Schools, shady business going on in Arapahoe County, and we will talk about both of those stories coming up later on in the program. But first, the government shutdown looks like it is impending as 21 Republicans, including Colorado's own Ken Buck and Lauren Boebert, that would mean 
two-thirds of the Republicans representing Colorado in Congress voted no on Speaker Kevin McCarthy's bill to avoid a government shutdown. As the Wall Street Journal reported yesterday, Congress headed into the weekend with no resolution in sight for averting a partial government shutdown, with House Republican dissidents sinking a short-term spending bill designed to unite the party in talks with Democrats. The setback left lawmakers considering last-minute alternatives, including a clean, continuing resolution that keeps government funding going for several weeks with no contentious elements like border funding or Ukraine aid attached. Such a plan could draw bipartisan support, but even floating the idea could trigger hardline holdouts to try to remove House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And the Senate was set to vote Saturday today to clear another procedural hurdle on the road to passing its own continuing resolution by early next week. But in the House, McCarthy huddled into the early evening with his conference without settling on a course forward, even as lawmakers were told to stay in town for weekend votes. It seems like there's a really good chance this shutdown happens. And... You know, I've had mixed feelings about this, in part because of the potential political implications and blaming Republicans because it's 27 holdouts that are doing this. But guess what? That's not the case. Republicans are not the ones getting the blame for the prospect of a shutdown. Here is CNN saying what their polling is showing as far as who Americans would blame if there is one. I think this one was a bit of a surprise to me, given, I think, what the conventional wisdom is. So there have been a number of polls on this. So who would you mainly blame for a government shutdown? Actually, the plurality blamed Joe Biden or the Democrats in Congress at 39 percent, the GOP in Congress at 33 percent, both equally at 22. But in the two polls that I have seen, when you combine Biden and the congressional Democrats, more voters blame them than blame Republicans in Congress. And that is very different than what we've seen in prior shutdowns. So who is the public blame for, blame for prior shutdowns? Republicans in 95, 96, Republicans in 2013, and Republicans in 2018, 19. So this may be a shutdown that is quite different than that in terms of the public blame, because at least at this point, more Americans say they'll blame Biden and or the Democrats in Congress. And Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, was asked about another poll from a week or two back. That shows something similar. I know Democrats put the focus on House uh, Republicans, but we found this from about a week and a half ago. ABC, uh, Washington Post, the majority, 40 percent, said they would blame the, the shutdown on President Biden and Democrats. Um, so you you have that in the mix now, Mr. Secretary. I just don't think that's true, but also that that's not our focus. We're not following the polling uh, or uh, focused on a blame game. So there you have it. The public looking at the president of the United States and still thinking because of the Senate is also controlled by the Democrats that, you know what, if this happens, it's the Dems who are responsible for it, not the Republicans. Now, I think that this is a really good sign because what was the point that I raised during the debt ceiling fights several months back? And that was... If Republicans are going to really address spending, it has to come down to these actual spending bills. 
Debt ceiling was good to push a little bit to get some things around the edges. But this is the time when you actually pass the appropriations bills. And the threat of a government shutdown that's probably going to be short term is not enough to say, well, let's just go ahead and pass whatever it is and see what sticks and just move forward. Because this is the time when you address spending. It is called appropriations. And one of the concerns from Republicans is that they they want the 12 separate appropriations bills. And you have to make sure that that is the case. So the question that we'll keep coming back to throughout the program this morning is how should Republicans handle this situation now? Should McCarthy negotiate with Democrats to get a continuing resolution or to maybe take the Senate's continuing resolution when they pass it and work with Democrats, enough Democrats and Republicans to have a coalition in the House to bridge divides and get a continuing resolution through just to temporarily keep the government going? Or should McCarthy negotiate, focus his negotiations with the 21 Republicans, Buck and Boebert and the other 19, to get something adequate through the House. Of course, the challenge is you can get something through the House with the Republicans, but what's going to happen in the Senate? What's going to happen with the president? But this is the whole idea of negotiations, isn't it? The idea of negotiation is you take your strong position and work your way down a little bit to some sort of a compromise. Why not have the House stick its neck out, take a strong stand on fiscal issues when we've got, what, something on the order of $35 trillion in debt? I've lost count. It's astonishing how much we've had under Bush, or well, Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden, and especially Trump and Biden, who have dramatically shot up the national debt in in less than two full administrations between the two of them. So Republicans holding the line, is that a bad thing? Especially if we see a plurality of Americans, more Americans say they blame Democrats than they blame Republicans. Now, the budget director, Shalanda Young, has been put in the hot seat a little bit. And she also, like Buttigieg, sort of dismissed the idea of Democrats bearing any responsibility for the shutdown, even though Americans look and say, hey, it's Biden and the Democrats. The Treasury Department uh, now says the federal deficit is at $1.5 trillion. Um, you know, that's more than the CBO projected. The president's pushed the bipartisan infrastructure bill. He's pushed the Inflation Reduction Act, the American Rescue Plan. He signed into spending uh, $5.8 trillion over the past two years. Spending is at the heart of this impasse. So does the president bear any responsibility for a shutdown? Absolutely not. And by the way, the deal was to ensure that we had a fiscally responsible plan. I think the name of the bill was the Fiscal Responsibility Act. That saved a trillion dollars over a decade. Uh-huh. Ah, oh, over a decade. A trillion dollars over a decade. Isn't that $100 billion a year? I don't know, Kelly. I can't do math very well, but I think a trillion dollars is over a decade is $100 billion a year, which is pretty much a rounding error. 
at this point, especially when I believe our budget deficit is set to be like one and a half trillion dollars. I mean, that's astonishing. 303-696-1971. Of course, our telephone number, if you want to join into the conversation, should McCarthy negotiate with the Democrats to get a continuing resolution through, or should he negotiate with these 21 Republicans and get them on board as well as the other Republicans and say, look, we need to cut spending more. We need to actually make a real initiative here with these appropriations bills, and we're going to do that together. It also comes down to what are the key issues, of course, that they're looking at, which could be a couple of the hot seat issues include Ukraine aid. So maybe that's going to be something that will be too much of an impasse. We'll talk about it as well. Then we get the thoughts of R. Emmett Tyrell Jr., our guest in the next segment. He is the founder of the American Spectator, and he joins us on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Coming up in just a few moments, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with that and so much more as we're just getting started here on Denver's Local Talk Leader News Talk, 710 KNUS. 20 years ago, this tune that sort of was a Iraq War protest tune came out from John Lee Hooker Jr., the son of blues legend John Lee Hooker. It was always a fun one. I remember I would uh, ride my bike to and from high school for the first couple of years of high school. Best shape of my life, let me tell you. <laughs> and I would ride my bike to and from, and I would listen to that song at one point. Just had a lot of fun. It was one that just got me going as I would ride my bike. Alternatively, I would listen to Hugh Hewitt riding my bike coming home from school. Um, at that time, at some point, Mike Gallagher was on KNUS in the morning. Uh, so I would listen to Laura Ingram, to these different folks riding my bike and some great blues music. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, 710 KNUS. We'll be joined later this morning now by... R. Emmett Tyrell Jr., author of the memoir, How Do We Get Out of Here? Half a Century of Laughter and Mayhem at the American Spectator, from Bobby Kennedy to Donald J. Trump, talking about the fights of conservatives versus liberals over the decades and where we go from here into the future. He'll be joining us later on in the program. Let's get back to this budget situation. You got this impasse. In Congress, the prospect for a shutdown. Here's another question for you. Do you think Republicans will cape? Do you think that McCarthy will just say, let's do a continuing resolution with the Democrats because that's what the Senate wants and risk his speakership with that? And do you think it could cost him his speakership to make that move? Because you have a number of Republicans who are disconcerted about what's happening and are insisting, you know what, this is not good enough. This deal that you reached, Kevin, it doesn't do enough by way of our budget situation. Especially when you have the American public, as we just shared in the last segment, saying, you know what, the Democrats are to blame for this shutdown. Multiple polls. If the shutdown happens, Democrats are responsible. CNN has a poll that says that, and ABC News Washington Post also does. And yet the Biden administration is all about my way or the highway. 
This according to budget director Shalanda Young. What do you succeed as the end game here? Are you willing to make any concessions to the hardline Republicans? And for how long are you expecting the shutdown to last? So one, I think you get in real trouble in this town trying to play crystal ball maker. I will tell you what the fastest path is to make sure this does not happen. You saw it uh, in the Senate with bipartisan vote to keep the government running. That's, in essence, Biden's way or the high way. And does Biden intend in any way to meet with members of Congress this weekend? Well, the answer, according to Karine Jean-Pierre, is uh, not so fast. Would he be meeting with anybody in person this weekend? I, I, no, I don't have any. I don't have any meetings or uh, to to read out as it relates to uh, to Congress. But what I can say, this is something, and we've said it over and over again, and it needs to be repeated. This is something that Congress can fix. No plans. No plans to meet with Congress. And what about on border security? We have not just a porous southern border, but we have an influx that we have not seen before. Some are strongly calling this an invasion at the southern border. Is Biden willing to talk about this to engage in securing the border at this moment? Can you talk a bit more about the impact a shutdown will have on the crisis at the southern border? We asked for $4 billion to help deal with migration challenges at the border. You wouldn't know that to hear what Republicans talk about. What a hero. If border is an issue for House Republicans, where's the dialogue on what the president asked for? Oh, Joe Biden is a hero. He's the real guy fighting to secure the southern border. And if Republicans don't get down onto his level about this, then, well, then he's not even going to talk about securing the southern border. We all know, of course, that that is nonsense and that the leadership of Biden amounts to bupkis on this issue, without a doubt. I mean, this is the same Biden who has talked a game over his many decades in leadership in the Senate. As, as vice president for Obama and into today, oh, well, we're really fiscally responsible and we're focused on spending and the national debt and so on and so forth. And yet, how does it actually bear out when he has the biggest key to the kingdom, so to speak, in the country, which is the presidency? It amounts to the exact opposite, plain and simple. And the reality is that we are on a long-term fiscal cliff. They talk in Washington about fiscal cliffs. But the real fiscal cliff is the amount of spending that we have to this extraordinary level that we're at now. And the Biden team is like, nah, we're not going to negotiate on actually making real cuts in government spending. We want the Republican House to just kowtow to us. Now, if, again, if McCarthy says we need a continuing resolution to give us time and then we'll work something out with the Republican hardliners, 
with the 21, including Buck and Boebert. If that happens, and McCarthy actually does work out something valuable in the end, does that get him off the hook? That is to say, there's a lot of discussion about continuing resolution or not. Should we temporarily fund the government or not? And if you do, well, McCarthy might be on the outs. But what if he does that and then he actually works out a good deal that the 21 are satisfied with? Buck, Boebert, Gates, the others. Would that then provide some support for McCarthy? Would you be okay with that? 303-696-1971, our telephone number. Meanwhile, Pete Buttigieg, we heard him a little bit before discounting this ABC News Washington Post poll showing that Americans would blame Democrats, Biden, for a impending shutdown. I know Democrats put the focus on House uh, Republicans, but we found this from about a week and a half ago. ABC, uh, Washington Post, the majority, 40 percent, said they would blame the, the shutdown on President Biden and Democrats. Um, so you you have that in the mix now, Mr. Secretary. I just don't think that's true, but also that that's not our focus. We're not following the polling uh, or uh, focused on a blame game. We are not following the polling or focused on the blame game, except we're going to blame Republicans and we're going to keep blaming Republicans and we're going to make sure you hear us blame Republicans. Yeah, not focused on the blame game. Nonsense. But Buttigieg also in that interview was asked about the auto workers strike that is going on in this country right now that is impacting so much when it comes to jobs and the economy and specifically the auto sector. And Biden this week went to show his support for the unions in Ohio. I think it was Ohio that he went to. And guess what? He was showing his support while also not willing to specifically say whether he agrees with the demands or not, but also disregarding the fact that it is his own policies, Green New Deal type policies, pushing electric vehicles, forcing them on the economy swiftly and prematurely that are actually putting these workers in a precarious position in addition to the inflationary spiral. That has made it much more difficult for them to afford to live. That also is at Biden's feet. Now, Buttigieg was asked about selling out over electric vehicles and prioritizing EVs over workers. And the Inflation Reduction Act provided so much money for green energy. Did the administration sell out these union jobs in order to build electric cars in America? Well, the opposite is true. Uh, we want to make sure that the electric car, the new technologies, are built in America, just like the old technologies. If a new technology is coming, right, which it is with EVs, and China has built an advantage, which President Trump allowed to happen because he didn't do much to promote American-made and union-made EVs. Uh, now we're in a situation where uh, you can't just trap people in the old technology. I'm sorry, but like the, the idea that America is going to compete and win in the 21st century by clinging to 20th century technology, uh, that's a recipe for those jobs to disappear. And I know exactly what that can do uh, because I grew up 
in the industrial Midwest, surrounded by the, the literal carcasses of the factories of companies that couldn't innovate fast enough. Uh, sometimes when, when I'm hearing this dialogue and this debate, uh, it, last week when I was testifying in Congress, hearing a lot about EVs, I, I feel like it's 2005 and I'm meeting people from the Rotary Phone Society. 2005 and meeting with people from the Rotary Sci uh, Phone Society? Dude, Buttigieg. Do you understand how expensive it is to buy an electric car and then also to have to rely upon an electric grid that is not ready and charging stations that aren't profligate across the country to power those vehicles? How many people who the Democrats claim to champion, like union workers who are being paid paycheck to paycheck, live in life Paycheck to paycheck. How are they supposed to go and suddenly buy a brand new EV instead of, in many cases, gas guzzlers from 20 years ago that are much more affordable in a used car market oftentimes? Does he think that everybody in this country is just able to take out a, a massive car loan to pay for a Tesla or a Volt? What world does Buttigieg live in? Well, he lives in the land of liberal utopia where his expenses are covered very well with his cushy position as transportation secretary, a position, by the way, he is woefully underqualified for and only got for political reasons. And he's shown his ineptitude from this issue to the airplane situation. Remember how terribly he bumbled that last year? When people were trying to get on family vacations and everything and you had all these crises with the airlines and there was Buttigieg just completely bumbling Buttigieg, incapable of addressing it at all, even to, even answering questions about it. And this guy has the audacity to say, well, because you're not supporting electric vehicles and the advance here and you're questioning the impact that we have from our policies advancing electric vehicles on these union workers that Biden claims to be standing for. Oh, that just means that you are caught in the past. The other thing that was condescending and absurd was when he talked about the hollowing out of the Midwestern factories because they couldn't innovate fast enough. Look, I'm all for innovation. I'm all for free trade. But the reality is that it had nothing to do with innovation. These are still American companies. It had everything to do with cheaper labor overseas. Outsourcing jobs to factories in China and Mexico before that. And all uh, other parts of the world. Because more affordable labor. It had nothing to do with innovating. The number of condescending things that Buttigieg fit into that very short answer is astonishing. But again, that's because he lives in another world. He's not in touch at all with the average American and what we're going through. And the fact that, you know what, it's already hard enough to fill up your tank with gas at 50 bucks a, a time going to the pump. And if you drive quite a bit for your work because you got no choice you might be getting gas up to twice maybe three times a week 
talk about audacious. Talk about out of touch. And that's the same guy who, again, totally out of touch on airfare, air travel, and that old crisis, and also was dismissing polling, saying, you know what, Democrats might be to blame. Well, you can see why people would blame the Democrats, because they're clearly not on top of things and clearly are tone deaf and unrelatable to the average American. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. We'll take a break. Back on the other side, what are your thoughts? 303-696-1971. Is Buttigieg on top of it? Keep it here. 710-KNUS. Sometimes you just got to let it play out and let the guitar solo rip. The great buddy guy, still alive and well, Saw him a couple months back for his final Denver show at Fiddler's along with Kenny Wayne Shepard. And this song from the album, Damn Right I Got the Blues, the title track, is one of those that at just 10 years old got a young Jimmy Sangenberger inspired even more to the blues as I fell in love with Buddy. And later that year, I would go to the B.B. King Blues Fest for the first time at Fiddler's Green and there was Buddy Guy right on stage as well as B.B. King. And I got to meet Buddy, got his autograph, and it was a blast. This tune and album, phenomenal. By the way, his final tour called the Damn Right Farewell Tour. Our telephone number, 303-696-1971, if you'd like to join in to the festivities. We've been talking about the budget situation, but I want to touch on something locally for a moment. Uh, Danielle Jarinski, of course, is Aurora City Councilwoman at large. We all remember when she was on uh, Stephen Tubbs' show. And she called Vanessa Wilson the then chief of police in Aurora trash. Well, that resulted in uh, Robin Nissetta, uh, allegedly now in a legal uh, criminal case, providing a uh, phone call to her own work. That would be Arapahoe County Child Protective Services putting in a false complaint of sexual abuse against Jarinsky. And that led to a series of events as a result after all of the pain and anguish that Jarinsky was put through in this horrifying investigation that resulted from a false phone call. Well, then there were subsequent investigations. There was an audit that clearly found problems with how Arapahoe County Department of Human Services was conducting things. The state audit found serious lapses in training and supervision for CPS. Well, then there was an investigation that was woefully limited in its scope and sample size. You couldn't draw definitive conclusions about systemic issues from this. It focused on just a measly 55 cases over three months following the whole Jarinsky mistreatment, the abuse of Danielle Jarinsky. And they did this investigation, and they basically whitewashed it. She was right. 
Danielle called it whitewash, and that is what it was. They disregarded six different CPS workers who were fired for various reasons, unknown reasons in most cases. And it was just a horrible investigation that somehow was cited this week by an Arapahoe County Commissioner, Carrie Warren Gully, following a ruling by a federal judge. Philip A. Brimmer, who dismissed the class action lawsuit brought by Jarinsky and others against Colorado, uh, Arapahoe County's Department of Human Services and others, including county commissioners. And this Carrie Warren Gully county commissioner said today's ruling confirms what we've known all along. Our human services employees are committed to the highest standards of protection for children and vulnerable adults. And she would lambast in this statement the groundless lawsuit for un- for placing unfair scrutiny on steadfast employees due to the actions of one bad actor. And she talked about how she was glad to be able to put this behind us. This was a flippant retort. And perhaps such callous disregard for genuine problems and sincere pain was too embarrassing for them to leave this statement up on the website because it was taken down. I'd be embarrassed if I were leading Arapahoe County, too, because this judge's decision dismissing the Jarinsky case was a narrowly tailored decision to the specifics of this case and not a broad judgment about the bigger issues that clearly are ongoing and that the Arapahoe County commissioners want to sweep under the rug. I wrote about this yesterday in my Friday column for the Denver Gazette. Ruling doesn't let Arapahoe County off the hook, and it sure doesn't. And in this station, I know we'll be watching Arapahoe County like a hawk. Keep it here. Aaron Kane, superintendent of Doug Coe Schools, up next on the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.